0: Good morning everybody, welcome to Layhouse Bible Church, sorry for the delay, we, uh, the Skype froze on me this morning, so we're back now and ready to go, and let's begin by entering the prayer together at this time. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for all your good gifts to us, we thank you Father for your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you Father for his death for our sins, his burial, and the fact that you raised him from the dead on the third day. And we thank you, Father, that salvation is by grace through faith, not of works. We thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit who indwells our hearts. We thank you for one another. Most of all, we want to praise you, Father, this morning for your love and your grace, your righteousness, your justice, your power, your life. And we just again want to just praise you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, good morning, everybody, again. Just a couple of announcements as we get started today. There we go. All right. First of all, we have a... uh, message from Namibia this morning those of you that have uh, been hearing about Keith I mean Kingsley know that he just took off in fact he had a 34-hour flight and uh, I think that's about as far apart as two places in the globe can be right Northern Canada down to southern Africa. Any event he, uh, I want to read uh, he sent a message he said I hope you all are doing great. Just inform me of my safe arrival to Namibia last night. It was a 34-hour long flight. I was nearly denied entry by the Namibian immigration officer. He he asked my purpose of my visit, and I replied, missionary. He looked at me and he said, give me a second. He took my travel document, went inside another office to inquire from his supervisor, and later he came out and said, we have had so many missionaries in Namibia who ended up impoverishing Namibians with a fake gospel. Yeah. I'm only letting you in in the belief that you can make a difference. You're not expected to seek employment or preach in any church without government authorization. He handed me my passport. I dropped a Bible tract on his counter. I took my travel papers and left. So then he, uh, he got in finally, which is good news. Um, he... Uh, he he said, I got to the baggage section and shared some of my gospel tracks to the staff and the passengers. And then he goes on talking about his uh, attending a church tomorrow, which is today, um, communicating the truth of the Word of God, and so forth. So keep him in prayer. Uh, your prayers probably helped him getting by that uh, immigration officer. And uh, we just pray for great fruit from his, from his visit there. All right. Now another uh, message this morning is the services. Schedule. Uh, Remember, we will not be having services on Thanksgiving or the following Sunday. I'll be out of town for those two days. We will pick up again the following Thursday. So the Thursday following Thanksgiving, we will have our Thursday evening Bible study once again. And one more thing, Keith and Starling uh, is going to visit us next Sunday. That came up fast. You know, he said November 21st a month ago, and I'm thinking, well, that's November 21st. And now I looked at the calendar, and that's next Sunday. So he'll be with us. Very exciting to hear from him and his prison ministry. And finally, I want to mention the GBC Pakistan Christmas Care Packages. I know I've announced that a couple of times, where that that missionary organization in church every year sponsors these packages for their students and their families this year, the, uh, the package, the uniform that they're putting together for the students is $15. The family ration, this is because f- the food is short and the families are hurting, and so they're going to, for the first time, give uh, food rations to the families there, and that's $30 each. So we pray for that. We encourage you, if you can, to give. If you're going to give by check, uh, you can write out GBC Pakistan, and we'll, we'll put those together and send them all out at one time. So you can send that to us. Put their GBC Pakistan in the uh, on the check. You can um, you can also indicate it's for Pakistan Christmas. We have till the end of the year for that December thirty first this year. All right. So most of you know on the website you can go there and give donations too if you would like to do it that way with uh, with PayPal. All right. Let me go back to the title of today's message and we'll get started. <laughs> title of today's message comes from Psalm 89. My covenant I will not violate. My covenant I will not violate. We will get there, but let's first set things up this morning. We are looking at the subject, the series of messianic prophecy. Messianic prophecy. Finding the Messiah in the Old Testament scriptures. Don't worry, there's no scripture yet. I know people are searching for it. We'll get to it. right? I'm going to, I'm going to set this up this morning. Um, so we're looking at a, the series on mess- Messianic prophecy. And there's one principle that we are going to look at and follow throughout this series. And that is that the entire Bible is Messianic, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Now that may surprise some of us to say, well, I understand that, maybe that parts of the Old Testament could be... What do you mean about the New Testament? And what I mean by that is the fact that this person, this expected king, this servant, um, this prophet, this priest, what we call Messiah, who we call the Messiah, again, it, it, he shows up in, in, a, in, in a foreshadowing all the way back in Genesis. We're going to see this morning that, that, it, that the Davidic covenant, the promises that the Lord made to David really um, puts into focus who this person is going to be, a descendant of David. And then as we move through the rest of the Old Testament, added to that, we get more information, more aspects, more facets to who this person is in the Psalms and especially in the prophets. We're studying uh, in Thursday evenings uh, the book of Isaiah. And we're looking now at the servant songs from from chapter 42 to chapter 53. That's an important, as it were, addition to the picture, to the story about who the Messiah is. So the Old Testament, it ends, and the Messiah still hasn't come. And so the New Testament is completing that. But even the New Testament, the story, the thread about the Messiah, starts in the Gospels when he appears and comes But the first time he comes, he's actually rejected by the nation of Israel. And so there has to be a second coming, which there will be. And that second coming is described in the book of Revelation. So again, from start to finish, you have this expectation, this reality, and this coming again of this Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what I mean about the entire Bible being messianic. And again, right now we're studying the Davidic Covenant covenant promises to god from god to somebody it could be the nation he made promises to abraham he made promises to david the promises to david are unconditional and irrevocable big words meaning there's nothing on the part of david that he had to do in order for this promise to be fulfilled it wasn't like the, the lord didn't say if you do these things then i will make one of your descendants a king on your throne he just said, I'm going to do it. So that's what we mean by unconditional. And by irrevocable means, no matter how bad things get with the nation of Israel, or even the Davidic line, the the, the sons and grandsons and great-grandsons of David, no matter how bad things get, and they're going to get really bad after David, he will not take back his promise. That's what we mean by the Davidic covenant. It's a series of promises that the Lord made to King David during his lifetime. Now, king david is the greatest king of israel in the old testament and yet the promise that the lord made to david that there would be one that would come in the future his seed his descendant who would be a much greater king he would he would not just rule israel but all the nations he also would 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 sit on the throne forever as isaiah 9 tells us as well as the promises that the lord made to samuel so this descendant one day would come, sit on David's throne, and rule all the nations from the city of Jerusalem. He'd be the king of kings. He would rule forever. The story of the promised king also begins in the book of Genesis, and it ends in the book of Revelation. The entire Bible also has this, I call it the story, but, but the line, the promise, then the fulfilled promise, and then the ultimate promise consummation of the promise that takes the whole bible from genesis through through revelation the whole bible is messianic no repetition is the best way to learn so you're going to hear that phrase a lot okay the whole bible is messianic um i I say that partially because um there's so many uh controversies in the church among jewish people about whether any of the bible is messianic And so this is a bold statement, but I'm going to back it up. The entire Bible is messianic. So it's not as if you can say there are a couple of passages that might be talking about the Lord in the Old Testament. No, the entire Old Testament, where it starts in the book of Genesis, how it moves through the hundreds of years, King David, but before him, Abraham, and then after him, all the kings after David, and then the prophets that came on the scene, all of that is messianic because it's all looking at the storyline of the promised king now this morning i'm going to give you stages of how this story unfolds in the bible the story of the lord's covenant to david it follows a particular sequence and there are five major stages we saw the first two last week when we were in genesis and we saw the promise to abraham and then we went to Second Samuel and saw the promises to David. So, here are the stages. The first one, the covenant, the Davidic covenant is anticipated. That means that before the Lord gave this covenant to David, the, 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 the folks that came before him anticipated the fact that this promise would be made to David. That starts back in the book of of, of Genesis. The second stage, the covenant is established. What that means is that the Lord actually makes the promise. So you have it, it's anticipated. Remember we saw Abraham was promised that in his seed all the nations of the world would be blessed. So that's anticipation. Same thing when we saw... uh, Jacob talk about his twelve sons and he got to the fourth one Judah and he told he said to Judah that the line the royal line will pass through you your descendants so there's this anticipation that builds before you get to where the Lord actually makes these promises to King David King David lived a long time after Abraham in fact and we'll see this again today the gospel of Matthew tells us that there were fourteen generations between Abraham and and David. So that's number two. Again, I'm going to repeat these a few times because we're going to refer to these um, in the the future, this week, next week, and then thereafter. Stage one, the covenant is anticipated. In, in, In terms of the Bible and the Davidic covenant, that's from Genesis all the way to 2 Samuel. Two, the covenant is established. It's made. The promises are given to David. That's in 2 Samuel 7. We're going to go there again today so that we can have repeated and remember again exactly what the Lord promised David. That's the second one. That all happens in 2 Samuel chapter 7 because he issues the promise there. But that's the second stage. It's a key stage to know exactly what the promises to David are. The third one, and this is where we'll pick things up today once we briefly review the first two again, the covenant is confirmed. What does that mean? It means that after it's given, there will be um, many generations that will pass before the Messiah comes. And during that time, there are dark, dark times for Israel, for the line of David. And so the, 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 the Lord, through the psalmists, through the prophets, confirms the covenant, covenant saying, remember, this is irrevocable. I'm never going to take away these promises. It's unconditional. No matter how far down the nation goes, it can actually go into exile There can be no king on the throne, and yet my promises to David will be fulfilled. And so during the darkest times for Israel and the line of David, they needed to hear again and again and reinforce so that they could recall what was promised to David, the greatness of that kingdom that would come one day. So the Lord encouraged them, kept their hopes alive by refreshing their memories, by repeating again, by telling them that this promise is going to be fulfilled. That's the third stage. Now that takes us all the way from 2 Samuel, pretty much all the way through the rest of the Old Testament. So you got the Psalms, you got the prophets primarily. And when we're going to see some, quite a bit of that. We're going to start today in Psalm 89. Um, and then we're going to next week, well, next time we're together, which is in three weeks, um, we're going to look at how the prophets also confirmed this Davidic covenant. So again, stage one covenant is anticipated from genesis to second samuel stage two the covenant is established actual promises given to david stage three the covenant is confirmed after the promises are given generation after generation needed to hear them again and so the psalmists and the prophets confirmed the promises that the lord made to david now at the end of stage three we've we've reached the end of the old testament there are two more stages, however. And this will take us all the way through the New Testament. The first one, the covenant is fulfilled, part one. Part one. Why? Because the Messiah does arrive. I mean, mean, you end in Malachi in the Old Testament and then nothing's resolved. The king hasn't come. The forerunner hasn't come. The nation doesn't exist. The throne doesn't exist. It's all left up in the air. Then Matthew comes right after that in the Bible. First gospel writer in the New Testament. And immediately, we see the Messiah, the King, in his writings. Because he came. He came, he was born of a woman. He grew up an ordinary young man. And then when he was 30 years old, he came and started his ministry. The Messiah is here. That's the fourth stage of the covenant. It's fulfilled, but only partially. And the reason it's only fulfilled partially is the, when the Messiah comes and presents himself, I'm here, I'm your king, the nation rejects him in a horrible, terrible way. You know, throughout We're in the Gospel of John and we've seen how, how early on you know, there were some that, that believed and yet there was resistance right away. It got worse and worse and worse. It was on the part of the leadership of, of the nation of Judah at the time. It was, the, it was the high priest. It was King Herod. It was the Pharisees. And they dragged along many, 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 many of the people so that ultimately they have him arrested and put to death. That's the king of kings. That's the Messiah. The promised one to David was brutally murdered. And so that, that, that was not a complete fulfillment. As a matter of fact, When Jesus came the first time, He never actually established the throne of David at all. But He was the Messiah, and He was revealed to be such. And He said He was. He said, I am the Christ. But then He also knew that they would reject Him. What does that mean? It means there has to be one more stage. And that's number five, the covenant is fulfilled, part two. Completely fulfilled. That won't happen until the Messiah returns. He comes, he's rejected, he's put to death. We know he's raised from the dead, but then he ascends into heaven. And still, there's no throne of David on earth. There's no throne of David on earth today. And there won't be until stage five, the covenant is fulfilled, part two, when the Messiah comes down out of heaven and returns and he destroys all of his enemies on earth And he then takes up the throne of his father, David, in Jerusalem. And then he will reign forever, just like the promise that the Lord made to David. So I know this is quite a lot. But again, the point is that the entire Bible is messianic. And yet it unfolds in stages. And that's why I want you to see how it does pass from all the way from Genesis to to Revelation. Let's see this one more time. First stage, the covenant is anticipated. Hasn't been made yet to David, from Genesis all the way to Second Samuel, and yet we see in in that time period we see the fact that it was anticipated that there was a, prom, a great promise made to Abraham, and then and then the, then the, the generations pass, and then the second stage the covenant is established. The time came when David was anointed king of Israel. And then Nathan the prophet delivers the message from the Lord that when you go, when he says, when you lie in death, then there will be a descendant after you who will ascend to your throne and will rule forever. We're going to see that passage again. Number three, the covenant is confirmed. That takes us from Second Samuel all the way through to the end of the Old Testament. The psalmists, the prophets, confirm the covenant that promises, yes, the Lord will fulfill these promises that he made to David about our kingdom, about a kingship and a throne. Then four, we're in the New Testament, covenant is fulfilled, part one. That's when Jesus comes the first time. The Messiah arrives, but he's rejected. We are in Isaiah, and we're looking at chapters 52 and 53, and we're seeing how he's rejected. The servant, who is the king, is rejected. Even in the Old Testament, they knew that. They sh- they. In other words, all of this was actually revealed in some form in the Old Testament, including this stage four where the covenant is fulfilled partially when the Messiah arrives what is rejected, and in stage five where the covenant is fulfilled part two. It's completely fulfilled. The Messiah returns to reign forever. And again, all of this was also included in the Old Testament. The prophets saw this happen. They saw there would be two comings of the Messiah, one where he would die for the sins of the world, and the second one he would come to reign forever. Okay. Now let's have a picture. I love pictures. There's a timeline. Okay. It goes all the way from Abraham to Jesus Christ. Abraham was in the gospel, I mean, the book of Genesis. Jesus Christ, as such, as named individual from Nazareth, um, was revealed starting in the Gospels. But throughout the New Testament, Jesus Christ is is um, presented, and then he is he is rejected. The death and resurrection of Christ is the center of the entire New Testament, and then you get all the way to the end in the Book of Revelation, and then we see the complete fulfillment of the promises to David. So again, Abraham through Jesus Christ, the, the covenant is anticipated, covenant is made to David, confirmed in the Old Testament prophets and psalmists, fulfilled with Jesus Christ coming the first time and the second time. Okay. Notice down here, we're going we're to see the passage that tells us this. But it's it's, it's it's something to remember and be seen in the Bible that from Abraham to David, there are 14 generations. From David to the captivity in Babylon, 14 generations. From the captivity in Babylon until Jesus Christ comes, 14 generations. We're going to see this passage in a minute. By the way, this tells you that the anticipation... For You know, stage was 14 generations. Okay, hundreds of years. We'll see that. Then, of course, this is a a point in time when Nathan tells David the promises. But then we have the confirmation coming from the time of David all the way to when Jesus Christ arrived. Now, that's 14 generations until the captivity of Babylon. By the way, this is the time period where descendants of David were on the throne in Judah. and When they go into captivity in Babylon, the, the kingdom, the, the throne, everything is demolished. It's still not in existence. But there will be, there will be 14 more generations from the time that the Nebuchadnezzar takes the nation of Judah into captivity, into exile, until the time that Christ comes. Will be fourteen more generations. All right, and then of course Jesus fulfills the covenant. So that's what. So the whole Bible, messianic, starts in Genesis. There's five different stages. Ends at the end of the Book of Revelation when Christ comes back and sits on His throne and rules forever. Okay, and again, just to reinforce, the first three stages are in the Old Testament. The covenant is anticipated, covenant is established, covenant is confirmed. The last two appear in the New Testament. In part one, the Messiah arrives, but he's rejected. In part two, the Messiah returns to reign forever. Last Sunday, we saw the first two stages. The covenant anticipated, the covenant established. And again, the first today we will examine the third one in, in just a little while. Um, but I want to just briefly review where we've been so that you can see it all. Um, we're going to start with the first stage again. It began in the book of Genesis. It, the, the promises to Abraham. We saw this. The promise to Abraham that all the nations of the earth, all of them would be blessed in Abraham's seed, his descendant. That's in stage one. Now, stage two, we also saw last week, the covenant with David is established. And it's in 2 Samuel, chapter 7, verses 12 to 16. I'd like you to turn there right now. You can turn to 2 Samuel, chapter 7, verse 12, where we'll begin. when the prophets confirm this covenant they always go back to what the prophet Nathan told David in this passage in 2 Samuel 7 verses 12 to 16 2 Samuel 7 starting in verse 12 when your days are now this is the prophet Nathan speaking to um, to David when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers I that's the Lord, not Nathan, I the Lord will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Notice that. There will be a throne and a kingdom, and it will be established forever. This would be a descendant of David will have a throne and and a kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. Again, that that anticipates the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and of course, God the Father. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. Now the the next statement here is actually speaking about the direct first generation descendant of David, his son Solomon. I've mentioned this many times, but many, many prophecies in the Old Testament have what we call a near-term prophecy and a long-term, near and far. And this is no different. When when the Lord talks about the descendant of David, um, He's first talking about Solomon, His son, and in fact, Solomon did build the temple for the Lord. And then, a sea, but then He talks about continuing on to the throne of the kingdom forever. Now we know that Solomon lived for a time, did build the, the first temple, but he didn't live forever. So when he says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, that's looking forward to the ultimate descendant, the Lord Jesus Christ. I will be a father to him and he will be a son for me. to me. That's a dual fulfillment. It's true of Solomon, true of Christ. But this next one is only true for Solomon. It'll be obvious when we see it. When he commits iniquity, stop right there. Lord Jesus Christ never committed a sin. So that can't be talking about him, right? It's Solomon. I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness, my grace, shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, when I whom I removed before you. Saul was the king before David. Verse 16. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne, David, shall be established forever. This is the Davidic covenant. That there would be a house. That's a dynasty. That's generation after generation of kings that would come from the line of David. But they would ultimately lead to the one who would be on the throne forever. A kingdom in the lifetime of David and the Old Testament kings. That that kingdom was part of Israel. After Solomon, it was never all of Israel. And this is because the the nation split in two. And it was only the southern kingdom, the two tribes, where the throne of David was actually ruling. Not in the ten tribes, just the two. So that was the kingdom in the Old Testament. However, the kingdom for the ultimate descendant, the Lord Jesus Christ, will be all the nations of the earth. And then your throne, your right to rule, will be established forever. You know, just seeing this promise um, indicates that this the promised descendant is no ordinary human being. Again, because he he will rule forever. You can't be an ordinary human being and rule forever, right? At the very least, you have to be raised from the dead. Okay, um, but it also turns out that this one will be God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. David's house would be a dynasty. And it would culminate in the descendant, the Messiah, who will be sitting on David's throne, ruling all the nations of the earth. That's his kingdom forever. Again, this is the Davidic covenant. Now, David's house, that's, his, that's his, all of his descendants who were on the throne, the dynasty, and kingdom will endure, and David's throne, right to rule, will be established forever. David heard these promises. It was recorded. The prophet Nathan, his words were recorded. That's why we have Second Samuel today. And so at that point, the, we, we understand that this promise made um, won't be fulfilled right away because there has to be a time that passes. That brings us to the third stage. And this is where we'll spend the rest of our time this morning. Remember, first stage covenant anticipated Abraham second stage the covenant is made established the third stage covenant is confirmed now we'll watch the the rest of the history of Israel and Judah and we will see it's a checkered history it's a, it's a history primarily of failure and rebellion against the Lord and exile and yet the, the promises to David hold they'll never be taken away the promises that ultimately there will be a great kingdom will never be taken away. One day the Lord will fulfill them. This is exactly what the people of Judah needed to be reminded of when they hit the lowest times, when they when 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 their king um, had failed, when their where their nation had been defeated, when ultimately they're taken into exile and there is no more king. They were they were they were subjects of a foreign king, and yet. Again and again the covenant was confirmed by the Lord's men, the prophets, and the psalmists. I'd like you to turn now to Matthew, the New Testament. Matthew chapter one verse seventeen. Matthew chapter one verse seventeen. You may remember that diagram we saw, that timeline and I talked about generations. You may have wondered, where does that come from? How do we know that there's 14 generations from Abraham to David, for example? How do we know that there's 14 more between David and the Babylonian captivity and 14 more between the end of the Babylonian captivity and Christ? How do we know all that? And the answer is Matthew 1.17 tells us. Look at it. So all the generations from Abraham to David, uh, fourteen generations. I'm going to go back to the picture now, so. so we can see it. All the generations from David, uh, from Abraham to David. Whoops, that didn't work. All the generations from David, from Abraham to David, are uh, fourteen generations. Now a lot happens in these fourteen generations. You have Abraham's son, Isaac. You have his grandson, Jacob. You have the 12 tribes going to Egypt because there was a famine. You have the you have the nation in slavery in Egypt. You have the Exodus, when Moses leads the people out of their slavery to Egypt. You have the 40 years in the desert. Then you have them reaching the promised land in the days of Joshua. And then you have the, the era of Judges, when Judges were the ones that were, were ruling. They weren't ruling, but leading the people. And finally, you have the, the 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 Lord. The people asking for a king. First, they got Samuel, but then David. Fourteen generations. And then, it, in Matthew one seventeen, the next statement: from David to the deportation to Babylon, fourteen generations. There, that's that's these fourteen. that? Yeah. All right. These 14 from David to the captivity in Babylon. That's distracting. I'm not going to do that. You can see it. Um, So, 14 more generations. This is from the end of David's life. Son Solomon. Then we're going to see another king that came after Solomon, his son. And and that king participated in the split between the, the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. Then you had a series of kings, some pretty good, most bad. All of, At some point, the nation again and again and again <clears throat> rebelled against the Lord, got into some serious idolatry. There were different disciplines from the Lord when, the, when other nations would come and defeat Judah in battle. Um, then you have the time when the northern kingdom finally is first taken into exile the Assyrians we saw that in the book of Isaiah the Assyrians wiped out the northern kingdom it's never come back you've heard of the lost tribes of israel well they're still lost in the sense that the, the, that kingdom was wiped out completely never to return that's that's never that kingdom will never exist again i say the kingdom because the 12 tribes will exist again But then there'll be one united kingdom again. So there'll just be one, and it'll be the one that's uh, ruled from Jerusalem. Then some years after that, then the southern kingdom finally is taken into exile, and they go into Babylon. That's 14 generations there, and then 14 more from the captivity into Babylon to the time of Christ. By the way, this is a really amazing thing. We don't have time to look at it in detail, but this period from the, from the end of the captivity in Babylon to the time when Christ presents himself the first time as, into the temple, into the city of Jerusalem as their king, 14 generations. And Daniel in chapter 9 predicts that to the day. To the day. It's amazing. So that's, the, that, so that's what Matthew tells us. He tells us the number of generations from Abraham to David, 14 Number of generations from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14. And from the de- deportation of Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Nice review. Oh, 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 play some music. Okay. First stage is the covenant anticipated from Abraham to David. 14 generations. The third stage, when the covenant is confirmed actually 28 generations because it goes from David to the deportation from the deportation to the time of Christ that's 28 generations 28 generations this is during all that period of time the covenant was confirmed again and again a a prophet would come on the scene and say remember the promises made to David the psalmist would do the same thing now you might wonder How long is 28 generations? Well, I'm going to help you with that. Generation in the Bible, most of the Bible, is 40 years. 40 years. So 28 generations is over 1,000 years. 1,000 years. From the time of David to the time of Christ is 1,000 years. And during all that period of time, the covenant had to be reaffirmed you know people had to understand again that 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 that, that the promises to David are are going to be established and it will happen someday twenty eight generations over a thousand years and every generation that passed was yet another one that didn't live to see the Messiah come for so the nation of Israel those thousand years. Were marked by steep decline. Never again did they approach anything like the kingdom of David. Not only steep decline, but this is the worst part: spiritual decay. Spiritual decay. What did that mean? It meant that they rejected the Lord. It, it meant that they, they, they. The Lord said, "Thou shall not have false gods before me." They were, they were steeped in idolatry. We're going to see a passage today that, that, that you'll see what that's all about. They turned away from the Lord. They worshipped other false gods. They, they abused the people. The leaders were stealing from the people. Um, it was just a terrible, terrible decay that happened during this thousand years. Ultimately, exile. The Lord had had it, and he exiled the nation to Babylon, ultimately. Never again would the nation see the grandeur of prosperity of the the kingdom that David and his son Solomon ruled? After Solomon, the kingdom split in two. The northern kingdom rapidly declined into idolatry and ultimately dissolution. That means where it's broken apart. Disappeared entirely in 772 BC. The northern kingdom again ceased to exist. The Assyrians destroyed it. Southern kingdom lasted another 136 years. Approximately three more generations. Southern Kingdom of Judah was also taken into exile in 586 BC by the Babylonians. And again, since that time, there's never been a descendant of David sitting on his throne. And during these dark, dark times for the people of Judah, their hopes dimmed. Their, even their very memory of the promises to David faded. There were times during this period that they didn't even have a copy of all of the scriptures in all of the kingdom. And that's how bad it got. So that's how you can understand why these promises wouldn't be recalled because even the very writings were gone. They didn't, they, they didn't And even in generations where they were there, there wasn't a lot of familiarity with what they had to say. Despite all of that, the Lord never completely abandoned his people and he never abandoned the kingly line of David. What do I mean by that? I mean that from the time of David, we know every one of his descendants, generation by generation. We know all of the kings that ruled during during the time from David to the Babylonian exile. We also know that the line continued. We know that because of um, the fact that we have a um, genealogy of Christ. We saw that a little bit last week, but it goes all the way down. We have a genealogy of Christ from Abraham all the way to the birth of Jesus Christ. So we know that that line of David was preserved by the Lord. When things were the darkest, the Lord sent prophets and psalmists to give hope to the people, to stir the hearts of these dis- these forsaken people or or this discouraged Jews. And how did he do it? By confirming the Davidic covenant through these prophets and psalmists when they most needed to recall the promises that the Lord made to David. Now in just a moment, I'm going to have you turn to Psalm 89. In fact, you can turn there now if you wish. Psalm 89. Although actually, no, don't. Because there's one place we've got to go first. We're going to look at... since we're talking about timeline and generations, what we're going to do before we get to Psalm eighty-nine, which is a fantastic psalm that affirmed the Davidic covenant, but first we're going to look at the historical situation when that psalm when that psalm was written, and you'll get the idea about how dark it got. Now the Lord didn't abandon His people, and this psalm was written. But but Psalm eighty-nine was written when the king of Judah. By the way, he was a grandson of David. Had failed, and that's that's an understatement. He had failed in a catastrophic way. Idolatry. At the king Solomon died, therefore this kingdom entered a very very dark time. Now the grandson of David was, of course, the son of Solomon, and his name was Rehoboam. That was his name. He had Solomon, he had David Solomon, and Rehoboam he was of the line of david but he turned out to be a very wicked king from the beginning he was i mean he was his stubbornness was a big factor in why the kingdom was split for example he was he he, he treated his his subjects terribly and and so so he was in every respect he was wicked and just like it happens when the leader goes bad the people go bad especially in Israel. Although you can see it today too, by the way. So you have this situation where this is two generations after David. The nation is in idolatry. They're the wicked king on the throne. I'd like you to see it now. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 21. 1 Kings verse 14, verse 21. Another remarkable thing about the Bible is that it preserves the history, the historical record. We can see what was going on in various, in various generations. We know who wrote Psalm 89, and we know that he lived in the time of Solomon, and then he lived for a few years, probably about ten years, it, during the reign of Solomon's son, Rehoboam. And that's where we pick things up. First Kings 14.21 Now Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king. And he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, throne of David. The city which the Lord had chosen from all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. And Rehoboam's mother's name was Namah, the Ammonitess. And Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now Judah is the nation but they, they did evil it was a reflection of their evil king. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. They provoked the Lord to jealousy more than all that their fathers had done with the sins that they committed. But they also built for themselves high places and sacred pillars and ashram on every high hill and beneath every luxuriant tree. The things that they built, the pillars, the high places, the ashram, all to worship idols. They were up on the high hills and they, and they they could see the temple and they chose not to worship there, but rather in these idols of their own making, uh, idols of stone and metal and wood and what have you. Verse 24, there were also male cult prostitutes in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations. In other words, they were just as wicked as the pagan nations around them. Which the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. When 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 Joshua went into the promised land, the idea was that the, the nation of, of Israel would wipe out all of these other pagan nations. They didn't quite do it. And so there's always there's always there were always a thorn in the side of, of, of Israel. But the reason why the Lord wanted them out was exactly for this, that they would they the people would not be influenced by the, by the false religion, the idolatry, the sexual perversion, and most of all, not marry pagan wives. But that was, that's exactly what started happening. Verse 25. Now it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, the king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. This is the Lord's hand in discipline. He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord, that's the temple, and the treasures of the king's house. During Solomon's reign, those treasures were magnificent. The queen of Sheba came hundreds of miles just to see all the treasures that the king had, King Solomon. And he, this was the king of Egypt, Shishak, took everything, even taking all the shields of gold which Solomon had made. This became a dark, dark time for the kingdom of Judah. It was during this time that we just read about that Psalm 89 was written. All right, now we can turn to Psalm 89. We're going to look at most of this, but I'd like to start actually in verse 40. I'd like you to turn to Isaiah, Psalm 89, verse 40. Psalm 89, verse 40. You may wonder, why why start here? Why not start in verse 1? The reason is I wanted you. I want you to see. This psalm is is constructed in a marvelous way, marvelous. It's everything you would want in 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 a passage that confirmed the Davidic covenant. One of the things that it had was a reference to the wickedness and a reference to how the Lord brought down that evil king. That's why we're starting here in Psalm eighty-nine, verse forty, because the psalmist actually speaks to the Lord about this wicked king, King Rehoboam, in Psalm 89, verses 38 to 45, and I want to give you a little snippet. Look at verse 40 of Psalm 89. The psalmist is talking to the Lord now. You have broken down all his walls. You have brought his strongholds to ruin. All who pass along the way plunder him. He has become a reproach to his, na- to his neighbors. This is a This is a descendant of David on the davidic throne and yet the lord broke down all his walls all his strongholds his whole military was ruined all the shales taken everybody who passes along the way takes more from him he has become a reproach this is the king of the line david a reproach to his neighbors now if you think about the the davidic covenant this promise of a great king and a great kingdom and it's only three generations after David, two really. And now the, now the king is, is is defeated. And you could think about the people saying, wait a minute, what just happened? We thought that there were going to be these kings and then the this great king of all would come. And yet we're seeing this, our nation destroyed. We're seeing the king, you know, shamed and, and humiliated. What is going on? This is a really dark time. For the nation of Judah. I mean you can think about it in terms that we might understand. Think about it in terms of of, of, of a promise that's made, let's just say the United States. Now this doesn't happen anymore. we don't have prophets from the Lord. but if we did and somebody said that you will be a great nation, you as a matter of fact, you will of course we are, but so maybe be hard to imagine this, but you will you will rule the entire world which we've never done. You hear that promise you get all excited. And then, and then twenty years later, you have we have a president who is a wicked president, and put gets us into battles that we can't win, and then we're defeated completely by the Chinese. Let's just say. And then the people are looking at it and saying, "Wait a minute, what happened to this promise that we were going to rule the whole world?" Right? You can get a sense of that. That was sort of what was, what was being felt by, the people of Judah at this time when Psalm 89 was written. That's why the Lord inspired the psalmist to write what he did. His his name, you don't have to know his name. You can see it at the beginning. Most Bibles have his name at the top of Psalm 89. Ethan the Ezraite. Kind of a rhythmic name. Ethan the Ezraite. But the Lord sent him, inspired the psalmist to remind the people just how awesome their God is. And he is so awesome and he will never turn his back completely on the people. That if he made a promise that there would be this great king on the throne, David, and he would rule all the nations of the world, well, by golly, he's going to come and that's going to happen. Because this, our God is awesome. Now let's look at Psalm 89, verse 1. Psalm 89, verse 1. This is why this is such a great psalm and a great way to confirm the promises made to david he starts actually by looking at the lord and telling saying how great he is describing to the people what a what an amazing god they really have this is who stands behind the promises made to david psalm 89 verse 1 i will sing of the loving kindness of the lord forever now, we sing a song that's very similar. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord, right? Well, loving kindness was a word that meant grace and mercy. You know, praise the grace and mercy of the Lord. I will sing of it forever. It doesn't matter how long it takes for him to fulfill his promise to David. It doesn't matter if the nation is invaded by armies. We're going to continue to praise the Lord. To all generations, I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. See those two words, loving kindness and faithfulness? They get repeated by the psalmist several times. Wonder why? Well, because they didn't, they thought that the love of God was gone for them. They thought that he'd run out of patience, that, that he was not going to show grace, that he would never be merciful to his people again. So so, to the, so the psalmist had to remind them he doesn't change. Right? He's always gracious, he's always merciful. The other word is faithfulness. To all generations I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. Why did that need to be said? Because if he's not faithful, then the promises mean nothing. But if he is, and he is, the promises mean everything. They needed to hear, be reminded, that their their God is merciful and gracious. He's completely faithful. If he said something, if he promised something, he was going to deliver. Verse 2. For I have said... Loving kindness will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. Built up forever. His grace and his mercies are new every morning and they will never go away. And he is faithful from start to finish. He is faithful to his people, faithful to his word, faithful to who he is, righteous. So in these first two verses, we see the psalm rejoicing in the fact that the Lord is gracious, the Lord is faithful. So it means he'll be gracious gracious, even with this apostate king and the ruined kingdom because he will remain faithful to his covenant with David. Let's continue in verse 3. I have made a covenant. There's that word. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. This is a reciting in brief form of the Davidic covenant, the promises that Lord made to David. I have made a covenant with my chosen David. We saw that, right? Nathan's promise. For two generations before this event. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. Now the next section, verses 5 to 18, our one extended hymn of praise to the lord that he is faithful he is he will be gracious to his people he will be faithful to his covenant with david how blessed to be his people look at psalm 898 give you again I'll give you a flavor of what said I would highly recommend that you go and read the entire psalm okay it's funny i I had the entire psalm first, and, and, you know, I usually get through about 12 pages. Well, I was, it was the end of 14 pages. I hadn't even said anything. So I said, you know what? I'm going to have to give you pieces of it. But read the whole thing if you have a chance. Psalm 89, 8. O Lord of hosts, who is like you? O mighty God, his power. Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the swelling of the sea the power of the Lord, the omnipotence of the Lord, the sovereignty of the Lord, even to the sea with its waves, you still the waves. And then drop down to verse 15. That's the Lord, and now this is the people. 89, 15. How blessed are the people who know the joyful sound, all the things that he has sung about the Lord. How blessed are the people who know these things. Oh Lord, they walk in the light of your continent countenance in other words he will never he will never put them out into the darkness forever then what happens is in this psalm the Lord comes and speaks himself it's very exciting when this happens don't miss these things we're seeing that in Isaiah too where there'll be portions where the prophet is is saying something and then all of a sudden it's the Lord speaking directly It's, it's wonderful moments when you see that in the scriptures. This is another one. Okay, I'd like you to see that he's now the Lord. Now, So so get the picture. The psalmist, brief statement of the covenant with David, the Lord. Big statement that lasts more of the covenant with David. He's, he's coming on the scene and saying, this is the covenant I've made. Let me remind you. Look at Psalm 89, verse 20. Go down to verse 20. I want you to think Think about Nathan's prophecy to David. Think about that David was anointed king. Verse twenty. I have this is the Lord speaking. I have found David my servant with my holy oil. By the way, that's the Holy Spirit. With my holy oil. See the see the prophet had his holy oil. But the Lord said, Not just that, you saw the picture, but the reality is my holy oil, the Holy Spirit, with my holy oil I have anointed him with whom my hand will be established. My arm also will strengthen him. The enemy will not deceive him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. But I shall crush, crush his adversaries before him and strike those who hate him. Now, let me ask you something. When was this psalm written? Two generations after David. If the Lord's coming on the scene and saying, you know what? My hand will strengthen him. Well, David didn't need his hand strengthened anymore. He was in the grave. So who is he talking about? A descendant of David. My arm will strengthen. He was talking about the Messiah. The enemy will not deceive him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. I shall crush his adversaries before him and strike those who hate him. My faithfulness and my loving kindness will be with him. And my and in my name his horn, that's the Messiah, will be exalted. I shall set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. By the way that's from the basically from the Atlantic Ocean all the way to the Euphrates River. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers and he will cry to me, you are my father, my God. We've seen that in the Gospel of John where he's saying God's my father, I always do his will, the rock of my salvation. Verse 17. I also shall make him my firstborn. The firstborn, in the the book of Colossians, we see he's the firstborn among all creation, the highest of the kings of the earth. My loving kindness I will keep for him forever. My covenant shall be confirmed to him. So I, the Lord, will establish his descendants forever and his throne is the days of heaven Back to David, if his sons forsake my law, and they will, and they did, and do not walk in my judgments, and they didn't, if they violate my statutes, they violate it, and do not keep my commandments, well, I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes, but I will not break off my loving kindness from him. The people, all right, he will discipline, he will punish. But the loving kindness to that descendant Messiah will not break off. The line of David, the grace of the Lord will always be preserved in that line, nor deal falsely in my faithfulness. Look at verse 34. My covenant I will not violate. It's irrevocable. Nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, by who I am, my righteousness, I will not lie to David. His descendants shall endure forever. His throne is the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon. The witness of the sky is faithful. Now, King Rehoboam reigns, dies, and then the years pass, and the people of Judah would sink into the mire again and again, and, and again at the right time, the Lord would send somebody to confirm the Davidic covenant again. And he would send the prophets. We'll see that. When we continue with this great study of Messianic prophecy, it'll be in three weeks, because we have in Thanksgiving, and then we're back on December 5th. We will see the prophets come on the scene, and they too will confirm, remind, restate the Davidic covenant. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the supernatural nature of your word of course it is because you wrote it through the holy spirit's inspiration we thank you father that the center of the entire bible is our lord jesus christ the messiah we thank you father that there's such rich information promises we see the line of david we see it extend all the way preserved through the worst times of israel all the way to your son coming the first time and then you would preserve the the king of David the king uh, David's promised king even when he was crucified you would raise him from the dead and you would take him up to heaven where he remains until the time will come when it will be time for him to come back down and then finally wipe out all the enemies of Israel and then finally he will ascend to his throne in Jerusalem and rule forever we thank you Father also for the fact that when he did come the first time. He died for the sins of the world, for our sins. And you judged our sins in his body. And, you, and then he was buried to, to absolutely prove that he did die physically. And then on the third day, you raised him from the dead. He's never to die again. And we thank you, Father, that by simply hearing those that, that those facts about your Son, Jesus Christ, and believing them, whoever, whoever believes in your Son, Jesus Christ, The God-man will never perish but have eternal life. The Gospel, Father. We thank you for it again today. and We ask that 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 be written on our hearts and that when the time comes for somebody who is lost and dead in their sins to hear the good news that we would be ready because it's written on our hearts. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay. well you know you know I repeat these every week, but that's because repetition is good. People still I will say something and people will still ask me, hey, is this out? Repeat, repeat, repeat. All right, Bible study this Thursday is 6:30 right here next door. Isaiah so, the songs of the, the servant songs. We are on Skype on Thursday evenings like we are today. If you have any prayers, please let us know. By the way, please um, continue praying for Cheryl, Cheryl Jarvis. She has COVID. She's weak, and so we would ask. She hasn't been hospitalized, but she's really weak. So we would ask for prayers for her that she would recover. Any pr- any prayer requests you have, you just go on our website. There's this thing that says, dude, let it, ask us to pray for you. Um, that's actually how I found out about Cheryl All right. All right, that's it. Let's close the prayer one more time. Father, we just thank you again for everything that you've shared with us in the service today. We ask, Father, that we would be loving to one another like you have been loving to us and that we would understand the importance of us who may not be able to travel the world, but to support the men that are your missionaries and your evangelists. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen.